This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We turn this morning to the book of Colossians, the epistle to the Colossians chapter 1. Here is one of many passages in Scripture which speak of Christ as the Lord, the one who has dominion over land and sea, as we sang Colossians chapter 1. And that's the doctrine also which we consider in the Heidelberg Catechism today in Lord's Day 13. Colossians 1. We read the chapter. Hear the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins." who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church." whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, as I said, to Lord's Day 13. The Heidelberg Catechism, I remind you, is explaining what true believers believe. And so it is expounding upon the doctrines which we confess in the Apostles' Creed. We are in the second part of those doctrines regarding God the Son. And in confessing God the Son, we speak of His names. The name Jesus, that's Lord's Day 11. The name Christ, Lord's Day 12. The name Only Begotten Son of God, Lord's Day 13. And the first question and answer, which we considered last Sunday, and now question and answer 34. And Lord's Day 13, wherefore callest thou him our Lord? Because he hath redeemed us both soul and body from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, and hath delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus have made us His own property. 
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved in the Lord, are you servants of that Lord who has so loved you? Do you live as his servants? That's implied in the confession that you make every Sunday when you say that Jesus is our Lord. Lord means Master. And if He is your Master, as you confess, then you are His willing servants or slaves. When you say that He is your Lord, children, you are saying that He owns you. You are His property. That He has authority over you. He may tell you what to do. And that He has power in you. So that what He tells you to do, you by His power do. You are His willing servants. The true believer who confesses sincerely that Jesus is his Lord understands that, that he is a servant of his master, Jesus Christ. He does not acknowledge that with indifference. He does not acknowledge that begrudgingly, but rather he is glad. There is a willingness in his servitude. In fact, he says, that is my comfort most in this world would not. They hate that idea of servitude and slavery to Jesus. But the child of God says, that is my comfort. My only comfort in life and in death. Back to Lord's Day 1, is that I belong. I'm the property of Jesus. He is my Lord. In thankfulness, I want to be His slave. That is my comfort to be his slave. I am, O Lord, thy servant, bound yet free. All that I am, I owe to thee. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Romans 14, 8. That's the confession, the sincere confession of the believer. He has made me. Henceforth, Lord, say one again, willing and ready to live unto Him. Are you a willing servant of the Lord? There are those, Jesus Himself says, who say, Lord, Lord, and shall say, Matthew 7.20, Lord, Lord. But not everyone that saith unto me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say, in fact, to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I, Jesus says, profess unto them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, ye that work, or continue to work, iniquity. Jesus, of course, is not saying that to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must earn that entrance by doing the will of Father. But he is saying that those whom he saves, those whom he knows, will not only confess, Lord, Lord, but they will live doing the will of their Lord as His servants. They will have a beginning, a small beginning, yes. Imperfect, yes. But there will be a beginning and a striving to do the will of the Master. They will be His servants and sincerely confess Lord as His servants, not of their own strength. For 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 says, No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. This same good Lord works in His property, you His property, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That is part of His saving work. Glorious work for His glory. This morning we come to the last of the names of the second person of the Trinity that we confess in the Apostles' Creed. The last of the names is Lord or Our Lord. Heidelberg Catechism remembers explaining our faith. We believe in this Christ as our Lord. That name Lord must be distinguished from another word that's pronounced the same in the King James Version. In the King James Version, children, you find the capital letters, all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the name Jehovah. We ought to read it with that understanding. The I am that I am. That is the name in the, in the name Jesus, Jehovah Salvation. But that's not the name we are confessing specifically in this name, our Lord. In the King James Version of our English translation, we consider the name capital L, but lowercase O-R-D, which means master. One who owns, one who has authority and power. Like that name Christ that we have already considered, the name Lord is another title. He is not doctor. He is not president. He is Lord Jesus. We consider that name of our Savior as taught in the Catechism and in Scripture under the theme, Our Lord First as Identity. Second, His work, although the first point we'll consider His work already, but the second point when I say His work is regarding His work in us, particularly. In us. His identity, His work in us, and then 
His servants, the result of His work in us. Our Savior is Lord, and that for two main reasons. His identity is Lord because, simply, very simply, because He is first Creator, and secondly, because He is Redeemer. He is Lord because He is Creator and Redeemer. First, He is Lord by virtue of the fact that He is God, our Creator. Thomas confessed His deity. You remember at His resurrection, when Jesus appeared to Thomas, doubting Thomas and showed him His hands and His feet because Thomas would not believe that Jesus had risen. And Thomas confessed regarding Jesus, my Lord and my God, meaning that He is my Lord means He is my God as well. Jesus is God. And again, we find that in the name, another name of Jesus, we find the deity of His person. He's especially God, the Creator. Last Sunday we read in John 1, you remember, that fact. The Word was God, and then this, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. As the second person of the Trinity, He was there with Father and Spirit to speak all things into existence. And today we read that beautiful truth in Colossians as well, which speaks much about Jesus as the Lord. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, a beautiful passage about Jesus as the Son of God, our Creator. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, and notice principalities. Those are, those are angels, even the fallen angels. Creator of principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Our Savior is that second person of the Trinity, the preeminent one, the first or the firstborn, as Colossians put it. He is the Lord by virtue of being the Creator. Since He is the Creator of everything, He owns everything. Since He is the Creator of everything, He has authority over everything. Since He is the Creator of everything, He is sovereign with power over everything. All creatures, great and small. All are obligated. They must recognize Christ as Lord. They don't. They don't. Many reject Him as Lord, but they're obligated because they are created. They are His creatures. All must serve Him as His servants. They don't. They reject Him. But they're obligated because He is their Creator. 
as God the Creator, it is important for us to recognize that this Lord, the second person of the Trinity in particular, never lost His position as Lord. God never lost His position as Lord over all creation. Sometimes there's a misunderstanding about this, and we must make this clear. Even when creation fell, he never lost his position of Lord. When Satan rebelled and fell from heaven and took with him a third of the angels with him, and then when the human race fell, it is a misunderstanding to imagine that God, in the second person, was no longer Lord. No, they still remain owner, authority, and sovereign with power over all creatures. What did happen at the fall was this, that the Lord, who is also judge, as we sang this morning, when Satan and mankind rebelled, the Lord judged them. And the Lord took mankind, especially Adam and Eve and all of mankind with him that would come from his loins and said, you are now in your disobedience and rebellion, you are now on Satan's side. Yes, under his power too. Under his cruel lordship. Banished from my presence and from my garden and from my covenant. Dead in trespasses and sins, murdered by Lord Satan, and soon to die with him forever in hell. In the power of darkness, Colossians 1.13, mankind fell and placed themselves under the lordship of Satan. But even in the fall, do not forget, God, in the second person, never lost His lordship as Creator. That is why not only are people in the church obligated to obey the Lord Christ, but all men are obligated, they must, they're commanded to obey the Lord Christ. And that is why when they do not obey this Lord Christ, He will judge them one day with eternal punishment in hell because He is Lord by virtue of being the Creator. That verse. But there's a second reason. And the reason that the Heidelberg Catechism focuses us, us on that Jesus is Lord. Not only because He is God the Creator, but secondly because He is the man, our Redeemer. The first reason focused us upon Christ as God. The second reason focuses us upon Christ who as God took our human flesh with our human flesh, our body and soul, He became our Redeemer. And now in a special sense, for His people, 
He is our Lord. The word redeem is a gospel truth which the catechism speaks of and which points to the work of a human master or Lord paying a high price in order to purchase, to gain possession of a slave. So children think back to the history of our country around the 1860s. Think of the times before the Civil War, the fields of cotton under the hot sun where the slaves were forced to work. Think of cruel slave owners with scowls in their faces yelling. These men and women had to work and work harder, work more, refusing to supply the food and the drink necessary and taking a hold of the whips in their hands and bloodying the backs of these slaves and torturing them. And although not all masters, of course, back in our history were cruel to their slaves, many were. And to redeem means this. To redeem means to purchase, first of all. To pay a high price for one of those slaves beaten down in the fields in service of a cruel Lord. Having paid to redeem means to free that slave, to release that slave from the slavery under the bondage, the captivity under that oppressive master, to liberate, to deliver that slave. That's redemption. But more, not only to pay, not only to rescue from a cruel slave. It's a third point to redemption that most forget. It's to take that slave paid for and bring him or her in the possession under the lordship of a different Lord or Master. One that is kind and perfect, full of grace. That's redemption. That's the beautiful word in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, who had delivered us from the power of darkness, the dark Lord, and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Redemption, I said, that is, first of all, to pay, to purchase with a high price. And the price, you know, the exorbitant price to rescue mankind from under the lordship of Satan, the dark Lord, the cruel Master, the exorbitant price is blood. Through His blood, verse 14 says, 
The Catechism is quoting from 1 Peter 1, 18-20, which more fully says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed or purchased with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Beloved, do you understand this payment by blood? Think deeply about it. This is the gospel. He purchased you with his blood. It is not the correct picture. This is not the correct picture. It is not that Christ had lots of silver and gold, though He did have it since He is the Lord of all creation. He owns all things. And instead of pulling out a money bag to pay with silver and gold or things for us, He he had His hands and feet shed blood and used that blood, red fluid, to pay for our deliverance. But blood represented something far, far greater and deeper. His blood which He shed for us points us, should cause us to think upon the suffering and the pain and the agony that Jesus felt for the payment as a sacrifice to pay for our release from Satan's bondage. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane when He shed blood there. When he shed blood in that garden, this was what was going on. All his life, he had suffered the burden of the guilt of our sin and the wrath of God being pressed upon him, upon his body and his soul, all through his life, not just at the cross, so that as he approached the cross and felt the wrath of God pressing in upon his soul. So great was this inner torture upon his body and soul that out of his body, out of his sweat pores, was pressed blood. That was part of the payment. And all the while as he suffered through his life and as as his blood was pressed out of him through that Suffering. He was a lamb without blemish. That means through all the pressure, he obeyed the law completely in our place. That was part of the payment. And then the blood which flowed from his crown as thorns stuck into his skull, and the blood which poured out of his back when his back was filleted open with cutting whips. And then the blood which spurted from his hands and feet when they were fastened to that tree. That blood should not merely make us think about how painful his body felt. But it should make us think of how 
great the wrath of God was that came upon him, more even than through his life. And the father turned his face away, so that his very life, for life is in the blood, was poured out. That's the price of our redemption. He redeemed us with his blood. And recognize, beloved, that he did not lose his blood. His blood is this valuable, precious payment. It was not stolen from him when he was trying to keep it. But payment means, redemption means that he voluntarily paid it. He made a willing payment to rescue slaves. They didn't take his body and soul. He gave it up for us. Because it was the only way to rescue us from the lordship of Satan. This beloved is our Redeemer. He came to us under the lordship of Satan and paid the ransom price to deliver us, to rescue us from a cruel master, to make us free from him. Now we belong to Him, the Lord, who is our Creator, and Lord, who is our Redeemer. One more point before we move to His work. And that is, the name Lord is used particularly for Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. Resurrection is important for a right understanding of Jesus as the Lord. He is our Redeemer not only, but our risen Redeemer. Don't forget that. Having paid the high price with his blood, he did not remain in the grave because, beloved, beloved, a dead Lord is not a Lord. If Jesus had remained in the grave, having tried to pay for our deliverance from the lordship of Satan, if he had remained in the tomb, that would have proven that he may have tried to pay, but he didn't pay enough. And if he didn't pay enough, that means the Lord Satan still has us as his rightful possession. But he paid enough. And to show that he paid enough, that it is finished as he said on the cross, he rose again, and on this Sabbath day, indeed the Lord's day, that's why we call it the Lord's Day. He has risen again to declare to us, I am living, I am living indeed, and you hear my voice. I am living and I declare to you, because I am living, you know I am your Lord, and you are no longer under your old master, Satan, but you are under me. You are rightfully mine. You don't belong to him anymore. You belong to me. For this end, or to this end, Romans 14, 9, Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now believe Him, your Lord, by virtue of the fact that He is your Creator and Redeemer. Now Lord points us to two works of His 
that He continues to do today. He works first by force and secondly by grace, by force and by grace. The work of force and grace, by the way, as a side point, because some of you have done some reading, when I speak of Christ's work or rule by force and by grace, you are not to confuse it with a complex theory that has recently, maybe not so recently, but relatively recently come out of Westminster Seminary in the West, the concept of a two kingdoms idea. And that concept has many complexities and also serious problems. And I don't get into that today. But I am not teaching that idea. This is a far more simple and biblical and basic truth that every child of God can understand even if they don't understand the two kingdoms idea. Christ is Lord and King. Rules by force and He rules by grace. He rules by force, first of all, because He is sovereign Lord. He is Creator, and now He is risen and ascended to God's right hand. And He controls all things with His deity and His humanity. All things take place according to His will by force, by His power. That's what He said after He rose from the dead in Matthew 28. All power is given unto Me, meaning Me as a human, in heaven and in earth. Psalm 2 verse 9 predicts that He will rule with a rod of iron. And though the people and the heathen imagine a vain thing, that is the vain thing to break away from His ruling by force over them, and they think they can do what they want, He laughs at that folly. Because though they imagine the vain thing, of being free from His force or His sovereignty. They can't be free from that. He governs them. He is Lord. He governs the hearts of our governor and and officials under her, our president and all His advisors, whether good or corrupt. By force, He governs military governments in Myanmar and their every move. By force, He controls the reprobate in this world. The ones that are conspiring to hurt God's people and the ones who live indifferent to God's people, at least for now. By force, He governs that which attacks our body, cancers that grow, viruses that come. By force, He directs even the reprobate that are mixed in with the tares or as tares with the wheat in the church. By force, He governs the Antichrist that is to come who will rise in church and in the political arena. By force, Jesus Christ governs Him too and the devil behind Him and all of His minions. By force, they cannot so much as move except it be the will of the Lord of lords. And when He governs them by force, that's His work. It is not in love, obviously, for the reprobate. 
for the devil, for the Antichrist. Though he may give them many good things, but he rules with forceful hatred. It's not a common grace, but don't separate grace from this rule of force. It's not two separate works, force and grace, though they must be distinguished as we do this morning. But the same Lord rules by force in hatred of the reprobate world, but never apart from His grace toward His people. And that's the Gospel, isn't it? This Lord who has redeemed us works by force to govern devils, principalities, powers, the Antichrist Himself, the reprobate in this world, and even in the church, for the sake of His people, for their salvation, for their good, not for the transformation of this world to make it some post-millennial kingdom on this earth, but for the spiritual good of His people on the way to a heavenly kingdom. For He is Lord by force for the sake of us, His elect. Ephesians 1.22 God hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to or for the church. And then secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ rules by grace. When I say by grace, I refer to the special work of the Lord in His people. In us. Grace, you see, is the attitude of favor God has for His people, not for the reprobate, but more. Grace is also His work inside. His power inside us, His people. And He rules inside and upon our hearts, not with a rod of iron, but with a shepherd's staff. The Lord is our shepherd. He comes to us. Not to the rest of the world, but He comes to us. Rebels by nature, who hate Him, who would rather of ourselves be on Satan's side along with the rest of the world, who would reject His grace of ourselves if we could. And He sweetly, but powerfully, He gently, but irresistibly takes our hearts which are in the power of darkness to start. And we read in Colossians 1.13, translates our hearts out of darkness into the kingdom of His Son, into His own kingdom under His Lordship. He comes to our hearts which have thrones right at its center. There's a throne right there, children, right in the middle. And on that throne, 
When we were first conceived in our mother's womb, all of us on that throne had an old man which looked just like Satan. Wanted to serve Satan in spite of his cruelty and torturous lordship. And this Lord Christ by His Spirit comes into our hearts and dethrones that old man, and though that old man still remains in us and rages with us. He does not sit in the center on the throne of our heart. Rather, Christ, Lord Christ, enthrones a new man. And He rules. And he causes us to obey. And He causes us to submit to the Lord Christ. And that more and more. That's the work of our Redeemer. Beloved, He does not pay with blood and then leave us in the possession of Satan. Think about how foolish that would be. Think of that Lord, a human Lord, going to purchase a slave from a cruel Lord and having paid an exorbitant price for that slave leaves that slave then on the cotton plantation of the cruel slave owner. No. That is not what Jesus does. As a Redeemer having paid He then comes to us and He takes possession of us, of our hearts, by His resurrection power, translating us, rescuing us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So what if, what if God's people, or at least those who claim to be God's people, say, I believe in Jesus. He is my Lord. But they live impenitently as though they are still in the service of Lord Satan. and his bondage. Covering up their guilty consciences with maybe external acts of kindness and drowning their guilty consciences with the pleasures, the addictions of this world. Then I say that that is hypocrisy. And the Lord Satan has deceived you into thinking that you are all right. And the Christ that you say is your Lord is an antichrist. You do not yet believe in the true Lord. You are still under the power of darkness. 
For at some point in your life, for some in the womb already, for some after he is born or she is born, when he works in your heart to truly believe in him, and he irresistibly rescues you from the power of Satan, then you will, if you are saved, serve him. You were blind, but now you see. You were lost, but now you're found. You were dead, but now you are alive again. Perhaps he works even today under the preaching. And you have lived as though you were still under the bondage of Satan. May he come as he came to Thomas and show you his hands and his feet, the proof of his purchase of you, his child. And may he call you to truly believe in Him, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord. May He so work in your heart that you cry out with Thomas, My Lord and my God, I am thy servant. Do with me as thou wilt. All that I am, I owe to thee. Why? Because thou art creator. Thy wondrous, the wondrous Lord hath fashioned me. Thy wisdom, Lord, hath fashioned me. I dedicate myself to him. Do you confess him as such? Do you live as such? You are the Lord's servants. Colossians 1.10 Why did he rescue you? That he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. To walk worthy of the Lord means not to walk as though you are worthy or deserving, not, not in that sense. To walk worthy means to live a life consistent with your confession that He is your Lord. And a life consistent with your confession that He is your Lord means... As the text says, 1, 1 verse 10, that you bring forth fruit of every good work in the service of the Lord Christ. For remember, redemption means not only rescue from underneath the lordship of Satan, but being brought unto the plantation, if you will. Unto the willing service of a different Lord, a loving Lord, a Lord who not only commands you, 
to serve Him, but transforms you to serve Him. Christian liberty, it is said, it is my Christian liberty. I've been freed. I've been freed by Jesus Christ. And then you can fill in the blank. To do, to watch. Christian liberty has become another cover-up for men and women continuing in the bondage to Satan. True Christian liberty is deliverance from my selfishness and covetousness to watch, do whatever I want. Rather to serve my Lord with all that I have and all that I am. Whatsoever you do, Colossians 3.23, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. No, not to pay for your salvation, not to pay Him back. For the very name Lord means He has paid it all. He has redeemed you already fully. But your servants now, in thanksgiving by His power, you serve Him until the end, even if it means inconvenience, persecution, and death. So that when the world exhorts you to deny Him as Lord and instead confess Caesar as Lord, as many Christians in the early church were tempted by, you may refuse. You may say by His power, No, Jesus is Lord. My Lord. And be sure, beloved, This Lord, Creator and Redeemer, governs all things by force and in grace for you, for your advantage. And soon He will return, so that one day, though all in this world deny Him, one day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.